Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Before you come to Christ, you can be awfully happy. Stupid, but happy. I mean, you just don't think about things. You just accept what the world brings to you, and you assume that the, what the world tells you is um, important, meaningful, and helpful. You, you just assume those things are true. You live in a world that, that tells you that the quest for pleasure is a good thing and that uh, you must fulfill whatever appetites come your way and that's a good thing. You live in a world that tells you that the more stuff you have, the better off you are, the happier you're going to be and more fulfilled you're going to be. And you, you believe that. Now, you, you just believe that if I have enough stuff, if I have enough things, that somehow that'll make me happy and I'll, I'll be content. You get the idea from the world that you need to stand up for yourself and make sure nobody takes advantage of you and if anybody crosses you that you need to give them a piece of your mind and tell them what's what and all around you use ridiculous phrases like, I just tell it like it is. No, you just tell it like you think it is, but uh, that, that's, that's something else. But, you know, and you're happy that way. You're happy in sin. But then one day you start to experience the grace of God. And here's how it first comes to you. You start to be a little bit unhappy. You start to be a little bit dissatisfied. And the things of earth that used to entice you and the things of this world that used to be so important to you and that just drew you out and, and uh, shaped your life, all those things, suddenly they're not, they're not making you happy. There's a, there's a holy discontentment with the things of the world. And the grace of God is working. The Holy Spirit starts to awaken your heart and to show you that, you know, those things the world told me would fulfill me and make me happy? Turns out that's not working. Turns out that's a lie. It turns out that the things the world is feeding me are poison. And you're just not as happy with it anymore. And, and, that, and that's the work of the grace of God, bringing about that discontentment. And then you start to realize, you know, something's got to change here. Something's got to be altered in my life or else I'm just going to keep going the way I've been going and that's no way to go. The Holy Spirit starts to awaken you to the need you have for Jesus. You would never have figured it out on your own, but the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ. Then one day it happens. You come to him, you come to the cross, and you just pour out your heart. And you lay every sin in your, in your life at his feet. You lay everything that's broken about you at the foot of the cross. You give it all to Jesus, and all you knew, know to do is to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And in that moment, your sins are taken away. In that moment, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are removed from your life, and you no longer bear the shame of them anymore, and no longer bear the guilt for them anymore, and no longer bear the punishment for them anymore, because Jesus Christ has died in your place. You've called out to him for forgiveness, and your sins are forgiven, and you're made new again. You're born again. It's a great moment when that happens. Oh, the grace of God, the work of the Spirit that brings you to the cross for just a moment such as this. And for a season, the adversary leaves you alone. For just a little while, the devil knows he's wasting his time. You're so in love with Jesus, you're enraptured with him, you're, you're just feeling all the energy and the power of the Spirit. And you're just, just moving ahead. And the adversary leaves you alone. But he's looking for that moment. And someday it comes. You're tired. You're exhausted. Uh, things aren't working out quite right. and You're just a little bit uh, doubtful. And the adversary takes that moment and reaches back into your past. And he brings out that old sin. And he says, why not try it again? You used to be happy. Why not try it again? And that temptation comes to the life of the believer. And the adversary whispers in your ear, see, I told you you couldn't make it. I told you you couldn't do it. I told you that it was just just a temporary fad. I told you that it was just a momentary thing in your life. I told you it wouldn't work. And you're so tired and exhausted, maybe, you almost start to believe it. And those temptations come even though you know Jesus and you love him. You know, sometimes the temptations are just little things. Bag of potato chips. <laughs> Mint chocolate chip ice cream. You know, sometimes those, those temptations are, are just small things. And, you know, it's not quite right, but, you know, it's come. sometimes those temptations are strong. And they're the temptations that come between a husband and a wife. They're the temptations that come between a parent and a child. And you want to raise your children in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. You want to show them the way to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And the temptation comes along and it just sabotages everything you've ever said to your children. It's the temptations that come between you and other people, your relationships at work and at school and the playgrounds and the, and the marketplace. And you give in to those temptations to say the quick word and the angry word. And then you start to give in to the temptation to justify yourself. Well, they, they deserved it. Before you know it, you're struggling with temptation again. I want to give you hope in the midst of temptation. I want for you to understand that this is not some kind of disqualifier from the kingdom of God. It's not as though you were the first Christian believer ever to struggle with temptation. 
all right? Uh, Paul, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 7, he says, look, the, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. Remember what he says? Wretched man that I am, who, who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. You see. In, in, in John, First uh, John, in, in his first letter, John, John says, look, if you say you have no sin, you're, you're just kidding yourself. You're calling God a liar, and, and, you, and you're living a lie. But look, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You ever get a coupon in the mail? Email printed off coupon? App swipe it coupon? I don't know what they are now. Look, I don't want to say I'm out of touch with our economy, but do you know how I go through drive-through windows? Debbie, would you bring back? Uh... <laughs> okay. But maybe you've heard about it, you know. And, and the coupon was, you know, this this fantastic offer, you know, money off or whatever it is. And somewhere in the coupon, it would be printed, one per customer. You ever see that? One per customer. And the adversary wants us to think that the grace of God has that little disclaimer printed on it, one per customer. You can come to God for forgiveness, and he will forgive you, but only once per customer. You've come once, he forgave you, you sinned again. Sorry, one per customer. Let me tell you this, the grace of God is an unlimited offer. There's no expiration date on it. And when you come to him again and again, Faithfully bringing your heart before the Savior again and again, His grace is poured out and forgiveness comes to us. We're not the first ones to struggle with the sin. People in Colossians struggled with it. I mean, why do, why do you think Paul told them, stop doing this if they weren't doing it? All right? When he says, put these things away from your life, it's because these things were so much a part of their lives already. See, they lived in a world filled with sin. They lived in a world where it was just taken for granted that this is a, a, a normal thing. Here, just, just look at it. What, what does he say? Put, put these things away. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You remember he just got through saying, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. And here he says, well, put away the earth part of you. No, get, get in touch with heaven. But put away the earthly things. And then he lists them. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Now he goes right to the sexual sins that inhabit life. Now, let, let me tell you, the, the Colossian people wouldn't have viewed these as, as bad things at all. I mean, the, the word for sexual immorality is the word porneia. Uh, we get our word pornography from it, for example. Uh, and initially, at first, it was a word that meant uh, frequenting uh, a house of prostitution or, or, or having a relationship with a prostitute. And nobody thought there was anything wrong with that in the ancient world. Uh, you know, those people who have dug up Pompeii and, and brushed off all the ashes and everything, they'll tell you there's about three dozen brothels in the downtown area of Pompeii. There were even mom-and-pop brothel stores, right? It was just considered normal. This, this is what, what, what you did. I mean, what, what's wrong with this? We're living in a society where it won't be long before we'll catch up to the Romans. 
Because that's, that's the logic of it going on now. You know, the sexual impulse, it, it's what most connects us to the animals, and it's what most can elevate us out of the animal kingdom. It just depends on how you use it. You know, and, and the temptations come because it, it, there's so much biochemistry in that. If you don't believe me, just ask your, your 12, 13-year-old son. I mean, there, there's, there's so much swirling around in that, and you can't, can't really control the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the, the chemistry of it and the, the thoughts of it. But Paul says, put it away. Put it to death. Not that you're not going to experience these things, but understand, that's not the primary definition of what it means to be a human being. Contrary to the craziness in our world today. Says so put put these things away, the, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the uncleanness. You know, the world of Colossi said, you know, these things are fine, what's your problem? And the Colossian Christians had grown up with these things. They 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 viewed these things all around them in the society around them. See, in our world today, you can't get away from it. You can't get away from the temptation. You know, you're, 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 you're driving into work. You know, there's a billboard, pow, trying to sell you something, you know, using sex. And um, the radio and commercial ambushes you. You, know. you can't control it, what comes at you. You can control what you do with it. But even in that, it's not an easy thing. And so you struggle with it. You might be struggling with it now. But here's the thing. Paul says, put it away. Now, so the, the, these are sins. They, they were just accepted by the Colossian people. And so the Colossian Christians would be tempted to say, well, what's wrong with these things? I've done, you know, th this has been a part of our culture all our lives. Uh, why, why should we have to give these things up? Paul says, you give them up because they have nothing to do with Christ. You know, the, this kind of uncleanness and impurity, the, 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 the immorality. But I want you to see something. If, if you have your text in front of you, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore... Now, I want to point out that Colossians chapter 3 comes right after Colossians chapters 1 and 2. This is a significant thing, and here's why. If you read in verse 5, put these things to death, and that's all you've got, put them to death. That just sounds like law. It sounds like rules and regulations. It sounds like, well, you better do these things and you better just get busy about doing those things. And so you're going to say, well, you know, how am I going to do this? Stuff? Well, I, I know I'll just try harder. I'll, 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 I'll do all kinds of, of, of exercises. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll try my best to put to death these things. And that would just be so frustrating. But understand, this comes after chapters 1 and 2. What have we just read in chapter 1? Jesus Christ is. You know it already. Image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation, head of the body of the church. He is preeminent above all things. He is uh, the one to whom we look as um, the, the, the source of life and salvation. So he is the one that we worship in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, it's a, he, uh, Paul writes, he says, Now look, the way that you receive Christ Jesus, you received him as the one who is Lord. You received him as the one whose image of God, firstborn of creation, and head of the body of the church. You received him that way, so walk in him that way. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ comes before the ethical imperative to live. You've got to keep that straight. God did not put chapter 3 first to say, first clean up your act and do these things, and then you can know Christ. He says, come to know Christ by the 
grace and the mercy of God, come to know Christ, and then these things become a part of the pursuit of your life. We've got to keep the order straight. That's why it's grace. By the way, that's why it's hope. That's why there's hope for you. So he says, put these things to death. Now, let me illustrate that in, in verse uh, 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. Look at that. He says, for you have died. And then in verse 5 he says, therefore put to death. The work of the Holy Spirit is first. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. The work of the Holy Spirit puts to death the old person, the old sin nature. The Holy Spirit puts that to death. And because that's the reality of what the grace of God has done in Christ in our lives, then put these other things to death, just, in, just uh, make it a conscious, uh, intentional movement of your life to put these things away. But first comes that encounter with Jesus Christ. So, you have died, therefore put to death. That's the grace working out there when you're dealing with temptation. So he says, therefore put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. I believe I could give you some amazing uh, exegesis on all that. Uh, but let's move to the next word. Covetousness. Covetousness. We don't even use the word covet anymore, except in, in church circles we talk about, I covet your prayers. Well, that's a good thing. You know, coveting must be good. Well, uh, actually, no, uh, in, in, in this sense. Um, uh, other translations, ESV has covetousness. Uh, other translations say greed. Just plain old greed. The Greek word, if you were to cut it into its parts, naturally it's made of two Greek words, it would say, uh, have more. That, that, that uh, pleonexia is, is the word. And it means, you know, I, I just want more stuff. I just want more things. They asked John D. Rockefeller once, how much money do you, do you need? How much money is enough? Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. See, the, the, the greedy attitude says that in my life is about the acquisition of things and money and material stuff and, and, and to accumulate all those things. And so Paul says, you know, you've got to get rid of this greed. I don't know. That may relate to American society. I'm not sure. May relate to your life. You, know, you, ever, you ever find yourself just really worried about things? You know? And it's very easy to do. Very easy to do. So, so Paul says, put that to death. Because that greed, that covetousness, that, that greed in your life actually is idolatry. Now, there's a sense in which all sin is idolatry, but specifically, Paul says, that greed is idolatry. And here's why. When you worship an idol, you are severing yourself from the true and living God, and you are giving your allegiance and investing your energy and plugging your life into something that is not God. When you are greedy, when you want stuff, when you think your life is de defined by things, you are severing your life from God and saying, I'm going to let my life be defined by what I can get for myself. In other words, it's a trust issue. It's a worship issue. It's a faith issue. It's all a question of, you know, what, what is my life grounded on? Where does it center? So, the, 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 the greed kind of like needs to go. I mean, um, can we take this seriously? 
I mean, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, come follow me. The rich young ruler went away because he had many possessions. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, look, guys, do you know how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven? Why are all of us trying to make it harder to get into the kingdom of heaven? You know? But we do. But, you know, it's almost impossible to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. Why? You know, if you want to think about it, it's easier to to, to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get a rich man into heaven. By the way, you can get a camel through the eye of a needle. You can do it. You have to use a blender. (laughs) And the camel doesn't like it. But Jesus said, look, you you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one, hate the other, hate the one, love the other. I mean, you you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You better choose which one. This this is how serious uh, Jesus is about greed and materialism and those kinds of things that inhabit our society. So Paul says, put these things away. Put them to death in your life. But look, the way it works is by the grace of God, not by your strength and your effort. It is the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, Let's continue reading on. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Um, We'll not belabor that point, but, but he's simply saying that that's what God is saving you from. He's saving you from a life that is shackled to immorality and shackled to to greed and covetousness. That, that's why the wrath of God is coming. It says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Is this a pretty common experience? You know, don't give up on yourself. You know, when, when, when the temptation comes and you, you're looking around and say, nobody else suffers this kind of temptation. I, I must be weird. Or as uh, one of my friends from New England said, weird. Um, now, but there must be something wrong with me. You know, not realizing that this is the human condition. This is what, what we do. You see, we live in a polluted environment. We live in a polluted world. You breathe polluted air. You get polluted lungs. You know, and you just start to accept it because you don't, don't think it through. Put these things to death by the grace of God. You used to do these things, Paul says. It used to be a part of your life. Now, but now... You must, this is verse 8, you must put them all away. And now he turns from sexual sins, he turns to conversational sins, if you will, personal relationship sins. He says you've got to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. You know, one of the things I noticed is there's a tendency to start to talk like the people around you. I noticed this as a young philosopher at the age of, I think I was 9 or 10 years old. And uh, we lived in, in, in San Diego, California, and, and all my uh, dad's relatives lived in Lamar, South Carolina. Uh, if you can find Lamar, uh, you get bonus points. I mean, it's a very small town. Uh, but we would go down into Lamar, South Carolina, and my uh, cousins, whom I only saw once every four or five years, so we, we'd go and spend a week with them. Okay. So my cousins would say things, I want milk and a brownie. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Milk and a brownie. You know, three syllables in brown. And don't you know, after a week, I found myself saying, can I have some milk? 
hey, there's no vehicle on my, ta- on my plate. <laughs> so you just start to pick that up. You pick up speech patterns. You sp- uh, pick up um, turns of phrases. And you start to think that it's okay. And the obscenity, have you ever known a time when, when a culture has celebrated obscene language the way our culture does today under the guise of, what, creativity? All you know is that the more obscenities you see, the less creativity you're experiencing. So Paul says, you know, be aware of these things. You know, be aware that, that the culture, the world, the environment is, is, is pressing in on you with all these, these things, and, and it just sort of wells up out of you almost thoughtlessly. Be intentional. Have your mind set on things above. Seek the things above where Christ is. Let your language reflect that. So put away the obscene language and put away the slander, you know, the put-downs, the trash talk. Put away the anger and the malice. That's a little bit harder to do because... Well, some of it's uh, wired in the brain, I guess. But he says, put it away. Do those things. Do not, and verse 9, do not lie to one another. Go on on that. Okay. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You've just put it off. And have put on the new self. Now, folks... The next line is going to be the grace of God just pouring into our lives. All right? You've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He doesn't say, and you put on the new self that you are going to recreate. He doesn't say, put on the new self that you are going to reshape and remold until you look like Jesus. He said, put on the new self because God is the one doing it. It's called a divine passive and Semitic thought. Fine, now you know that. But when he says, it is being renewed, he's saying, God is doing this. The new self that God gives you is, is, is the work of the Holy Spirit, and he is renewing you day by day and conforming you to the image of your creator. We were created in the image of God. Somehow in, in, in the process of the fall when our first parents sinned, that image of God was either lost, distorted, perverted. Now let, let theologians argue about that. But here's the deal. In Christ Jesus, we are restored to where we should have been all along. Paul says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. And here that image turns out to be the image of God the Father himself. And so we are being restored to the image of God. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is what God is doing in your life. And when you experience that temptation and when you experience the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the setbacks or you stumble, you fall, you sin, and those kinds of things, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you back to the throne of grace and say, Father, I confess my sin. And the grace brand new comes out upon you. Okay. So Paul says, put these things away because God is renewing all this stuff. Um, in you. Is this making sense to anybody but me? Verse 11. Here. Now, in this this thing of 
Well, we are called to a life of holiness that reflects the character and the nature of Christ. The Holy Spirit is doing that in our lives. And that's, that's what we're doing as we set our minds on things above and seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says here, in this context, there is not Greek or Jew. See, the Colossians could have said, Paul, you, you, you can't expect us to change like that because, look, we were raised in a Greek culture. This, this is a part of our culture. This is a part of our norm. Frequenting of prostitution, the satisfaction of all sex, kinds of sexual practices, the, the use of anger and wrath to sort of get your way and to um, uh, you know, be belligerent towards people, to manipulate them into conforming to what you want them to do. Paul, all, all these lying and deception and, and fraud and deceit, Paul, these things are acceptable in our society. We are Greeks. Now, it's okay for Jews. It's okay for Jews because, after all, they never did these things. You know, they were kind of boring all along. But don't expect us to change. Paul says, here in Christ, there is not a Greek and Jew distinction. This is God's design for every believer. And also, there's not circumcised, uncircumcised. There's not a barbarian. Barbarian's an interesting word. The Greeks called everybody a barbarian who did not speak Greek. See? And they would make fun of you because you would be speaking some other language, and they would say, oh, listen, he's going bar, 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 bar. He's a barbarian, barbarian. And so barbarian is just how Greeks made fun of people. So all of you are barbarians, except for me. <laughs> okay. But you can't appeal to some... some um, excuse in all this. There's not Jew, there's not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Here it is. Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. And so when you struggle with that temptation and you struggle with, with uh, um, the, the pull, you know, the, what's, what's trying to draw you towards sin, just remember Christ is all absolute everything. Um, the, the answer for it then, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Have a vision of the Savior. Spend time in the Word and in prayer. You know, just coming before the throne of the Father, letting the Holy Spirit work in your life, redefine your thinking, reshape your activities. You know, when the Holy Spirit shows you something that needs to be uh, worked on, just say, well, you know, just show me how and, and give me the strength and work in me to conform me to the image of Christ. Because in, in our struggling with sin, we're not alone. And by that, I don't mean to say other people have the same struggle. I, I, I mean to say Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to us to convict us, change us, and bring us back. And that's why there's hope. And it's found in Christ, Christ alone. Let's pray together. And Father, I thank and praise you for the work of your Spirit in our lives. And so often we're uncaring and thoughtless and unaware. But Father, you are always focused on who we are, what's going on in our lives, always with love and always with grace to bring us to the righteousness of Christ. And so, Father, I pray for that pouring of your Holy Spirit, for that brother or sister who is here today. And the struggle is very real in the heart and in the mind. It's not a generic struggle, Father. It's something they can give particular names to. Father, I pray for the work of your Spirit.
Give the courage of faith and the courage to press on in Christ. Father, let your spirit just inhabit every heart, seize every life as a possession for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.